Welcome to the first episode of It's Not Academic, a podcast about higher education. I'm Rosanna Tamburi, research editor at HECO. Access to post-secondary education remains beyond reach for many students, those who are low-income, older, single parents, first-generation, and Indigenous. One of HECO's research priorities is to improve access for these underrepresented groups. Access is also the focus of our upcoming conference to take place April 19th and 20th. The conference will explore the barriers these students encounter in pursuing higher education, the role that parents in the community play in their decision-making, current research on student demographics, and best practices in access, retention, and assessment. In our first podcast episode, we talked to Mei Wong, Executive Director of the Omega Foundation, a nonprofit group that aims to make it easier for low-income families to access government support for post-secondary education through a registered education savings plan. Thanks a lot for being here today, May. Um, so I'd like to start by asking you about why students from low-income families don't go on to post-secondary in the same numbers as those from higher income groups. There's lots of grants and scholarships and loan programs available to them. So why, why do you think that is? Well, without question, cost continues to be a barrier for some students. But what research is showing us is that having the money to go is less of a deciding factor for kids who are just uh, preparing to leave high school than having the mindset to go. And that's really something that develops from, from a much younger age. Because scholars aren't born, they're grown. And it really starts with parents uh, wanting their kids to pursue higher education, and the vast majority of parents do, uh, regardless of income level. But, but just having the hope that your child is going to go is not enough. Kids need to know that uh, post-secondary is going to be financially possible, and that can be a lot more difficult for parents with lower incomes to assure them of. Um, if, they're, if they know that their families don't have the money, kids need to know that there's other supports like grants and scholarships and bursaries available. And that can be a lot more difficult for parents who might not have that experience themselves and not, may not be as familiar with the system uh, to help them sort out. And families need to plan ahead and start taking steps in lower grades that make it possible for kids to pursue the goal of post-secondary. And that can start with school selection, course selection, having access to a computer, um, tutoring when that's necessary. And these things can be much more difficult for parents who might not have that experience of preparing for themselves uh, to navigate. And and for some parents with lower incomes, it can just be impossible to afford. So the Omega Foundation uh, published a report recently about uh, education savings incentive grants, which is money that the Canadian government uh, provides to families through RESPs. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yes. To encourage right. them to save for their child's post-secondary education. And the government provides more than a billion dollars through these various grants. But many lower-income families are not benefiting your study found. So why why is that? So uh, maybe I, I'd like to just uh, back up a little bit and talk about why we think it's so important mm-hmm. that uh, families have education savings. First of all, I'd just like to um, uh, remind you that, you know, just about all parents 
have high hopes for their children's education. Uh, they, you know, when babies are born, everybody looks at them and says, these are geniuses and they are going to do great <laughs> things. But families with, uh, who are living with lower incomes uh, face some really unique challenges in helping their children to prepare. But starting an education savings account, uh, an RESP, Registered Education Savings, uh, for a child when they're young is, a, is an ideal way to begin that preparation because, because it, it starts to turn hope into a concrete form and starts to translate those aspirations that parents have into expectations of the child. So starting an RESP for a child really kickstarts a chain reaction of successes. What we know from federal data is in the history of the RESP is that just opening an account has proven very effective in motivating families to save. And as they see their families growing investment in their education savings, uh, a child's commitment towards their schoolwork and their confidence to think about school after high school starts to grow. And that opens the door to them applying, which means that all of a sudden they have access to other funding opportunities. And of course, higher education will lead to you know, increased employability, um, uh, greater earnings, financial stability. Right. But there are a lot of misconceptions about RESPs and the government savings incentives, which discourage lower-income families. We all need to do a better job of raising awareness uh, and providing good information about how RESPs can work for low-income families. And some of those examples are, for instance, you don't have to buy an RESP. You often hear people talk about buying an RESP. You don't have to buy an RESP. You can open an RESP actually with no fees at all. Mm and. You can start an RESP with no contributions, and uh, that would still, for a lower-income family that's eligible, uh, allow them to qualify for uh, receiving the Canada Learning Bond. Um, having an RESP doesn't, uh, contrary to popular belief, it does not uh, negatively impact other supports that a family might be receiving, like income support like a housing subsidy or childcare subsidy. Uh, so these are some of the things that hold families back sometimes because uh, they truly don't have money that they can afford to gamble or risk, um, and they're concerned about whether or not it's safe. But why are there so many misconceptions? Well, I think that you know it's, it, part of it has to do with the chronology of the evolution of the RESP. The tax-sheltered account by itself came first. So for the first few years of the RESP's existence, it did nothing but provide a shell for tax-sheltered savings. So who would that appeal to? It would appeal to people who were trying to shelter savings, who had savings to shelter. Higher-income people. Right. And then the next thing to be introduced uh, was the Canada Education Savings Grant, which is purely a matching grant. You, it takes money to trigger the matching grant. So uh, I think from that came the uh, misconception that you have to have money to put in in order to get any kind of incentive from the government. But in 2004, the federal government uh, recognizing that lower income families were just not benefiting from the federal system at all, introduced the Canada Learning Bond. And the beauty of the Canada Learning Bond is that it doesn't require any family contribution. And as I said, the RE- an RESP itself can be opened at, for instance, any major bank for nothing, no fees uh, to start it up or to maintain an account. The Canada Learning Bond is the first contribution. So if a family opens the account for a child who is of the right age, uh, eligible age, the federal government will start to put money in it. And that way, 
um, theoretically, every child can have a savings account that is sitting there and starting to assert that really positive pressure of expectations and, and having something invested for their higher education. Right. Theoretically, though, right? Because as your study found, there's more than a million children who would have benefited from this program, the Canada Learning Bond, but who were eligible to receive it and didn't. That's right. right. So why, why is that? So, you know, there has been steady growth, uh, but we're, we think it's still far short of where it should be. Uh, to date, there's been about 850,000 children who have benefited from the Canada Learning Bond, but there are over, 200, there are over 2 million who are eligible, who have been eligible at one point or another. So that's about 1.5 million children are owed something in a Canada Learning Bond, at least one payment of it, um, but their families either don't know about it or don't know how to uh, how to access it. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are all children who were born in 2004 or later, whose families have a household income of approximately $45,000 or less, um, and it's retroactive. So it, it doesn't matter if the family's income is eligible this year, uh, if your child is of the uh, eligible age, it doesn't hurt to apply because there may be payments that that child was eligible for in previous years. Um, but the Canada Learning Bond is a great example of um, that you can't just build a program and expect people to find it. Um, there has to be promotion, and awareness is uh, one of the biggest problems. So there has been no uh, promotion of it um, uh, families are often surprised when we or one of our community partners bring it to their attention that there is such a thing as a learning bond. It is the first time they ever heard of it. Mm-hmm. Um, many of the families that are eligible uh, at that income level, they don't have accountants who are doing their taxes. They don't have financial advisors. They don't have bankers who are trying to upsell them on products. Um, and they may themselves have no experience uh, with banking or investing. Um, and many of them find government and financial information difficult to understand in English or French. So um, if the government you know, really wants eligible families to get their bonds, they have to do a better job of promoting it, of dispelling the myths that, that are lingering about RESPs. Um, and about, you know, one of the great ways to do that is making sure that all those helping professionals who interact with eligible families every day uh, understand the Canada Learning Bond and know how to help families navigate to get it. And that's one of the things that um, the Omega Foundation Smart Saver program does, right? It tries to raise awareness uh, about RES- RESPs and the Canada Learning Bond uh, among low-income families. Right. How does it do that? Well, I mean, for us, the strategy that we take is really through those helping professionals, the intermediaries who um, make up our voluntary sector um, and service sector, who are the ones who have trust relationships with eligible families. Because of the number of um, misconceptions and, and, and the fear of finance that lingers for a lot of families um, who may be eligible for learning bond, we thought that it would be best to work through those, uh, those professionals that they trust, whether they are frontline workers in income support programs, in their children's schools, uh, at the health center, at their church. Um, these are the people that, they tur- that families 
turn to for good information about public programs, about um, services that might help their family. Um, and so what we do is try to make sure that those frontline uh, services are familiar with how the learning bond works, familiar with how RESPs work, uh, and have an easy way to help families to get it. So we, we run an online application. Uh, we, our system is back-ended by uh, seven financial institutions, um, uh, all of the major banks, BMO, Scotia, Royal, TD, and CIBC, as well as uh, Meridian Credit Union here in Ontario, Van City in BC. And what we do is we provide an online application, it's very user-friendly, it's very visually intuitive, it's multilingually uh, supported, that allows a family to um, sort of put in the basic information to apply for the Canada Learning Bond. What it helps them to avoid is what we found was often a very awkward first interaction at a branch. With the bank. They walk into a branch, and what we were hearing was parents would walk into a branch, they would ask for the Canada Learning Bond. Well, when take-up is only 30% across the country, you have a lot of branch staff who've never heard of it, uh, never come across it. And um, uh, a lot of times the information that they were getting was not correct or they didn't know it or you know, wasn't helpful. So the online application provides a warm introduction. They select the financial institution that they want to work with. We uh, you know, we have no recommendations for them. We're totally neutral. And, uh, but it, it allows us to communicate that such and such a family wants the learning bond for this child and to send that to the financial institution who then follows up with the family to get the paperwork done and to get their application in. A financial institution of their choice. Of their choice. Yeah. So, it, so your program depends a lot on community partnerships. Yes, and yes. getting the word out. So, if how how can interested groups get involved, and in, if they want to help out? Well, they can find us at smartsaver.org. Uh, they can call our office. Uh, we are always recruiting more community partners to help in our community-based marketing. We work with uh, community partners across the country, uh, and they're a, very, they're a very diverse lot, everything from a neighborhood food bank to a regional government. Uh, might be one of our promoters, and what they're what they're doing is uh, they're providing good information to uh, the families that they serve about the Canada Learning Bond and how to get it, how to use the online application, um, and uh, and in exchange we uh, help them out with a direct link to the application that they can embed on their website. We can help track for them. Uh, we can help uh, defray costs. So um, and that way families are really getting the information from a source that they. Will trust. Sounds great. Thanks a lot for coming in and talking to us about it. Well, thank you.